0: I also mentioned a little earlier that you know there were rumors, uh, Hahn notes it in his book that among the rumors of who, who killed Tolbert, somebody talked about a white man doing it. like a white ha- a, a man, a white man wearing a tribal mask was the one who fired the shot. Now there are other rumors that it was one of the young soldiers that did that, but it was from Tolbert's wife herself that said that these men painted for war in tribal masks burst in and they're the ones who killed them and killed two of Tolbert's small children as well. And I believe because of the indigenous tribe that she was from, I forget if she was a crew or something else, but they they spared her life because she was not Americo-Liberian. So she, I think, even wrote an entire memoir about her life and about that experience. There's some very interesting. I think that's where people get kind of the her official version of the story from. But if you go on my black planet, you can find an excerpt of the testimony of Chea Chipu, the justice minister, who I guess the U.S. embassy did not like and thought he was un, un, he was unstable, and not serious. So they had two
1: groups here to stage the coup. The coup was staged by CIA white people. In know, Mrs. Toba told me point blank. The person who killed me, that white man. The person who shot my husband, that white man. And the instance in which he killed the president was this. The president was in his room and Mrs. Torbalt was in her room with the children. When the people were knocking the door for him to open and fire, they started shooting, Toba got concerned. So he left his wife's room with the children. And wanted to take the side door to get outside the, the room, maybe the, to find an escape or something like that. He was met, and Mrs. Toba was right behind him. So she said, The person who shot my husband, there are these people here were talking about Dodan. He said, A white man shot my husband. She always said that. Um, that white people killed, it, killed President Toba. then was just enjoying the name. She said, the man who shot her husband was white man. Not these people, which me do them. who going around who say they, they can make good on them. This was organized as an international plot. And but I don't know why they want to make such a plot like that because it didn't help us at all. But what was the role of Connor Jebo? How did he come into the picture? All oh, right, Conor Jebo, I said they organized two versions. Do and his group were trained, they were trained by Americans. Do and his group were trained at the Tuck Military Camp near the rubber farm here. How they call it 2D. And Conan Jabo were trained in 2D. Two them were trained in shuffling by the CIA, special squad. They were trained there. And Conan Jabo, he was a good army man, they called him a Ranger. He went to the military school at West Point. He had his group over there. But though them being in, uh, what they played in right here to uh, the shuffling, a looked they were not too far. And the way it happened was that, Tobo got the information that there was something going on. That's why he wanted to leave the country. After the, the when we were to be trial in the 13th, he wanted to leave the country because he thought something was going on. So the king had this thing here at the Shangana party. They said that was the party for us, for our, Something about our, our that two We probably think what they had in that building, where somebody would think, Oh, I'll be going They're building again. Oh, uh, they did it for us.
0: So, what he says straight up is that Tolbert's widow describe to him how it was a white man that came in there wearing a mask and killed Tolbert and that I guess there were multiple white men. I don't know if they were all white, but there was definitely like a group of it would seem foreign assassins that did this. So as far as she's concerned, this is obviously a US military plot and the official story of these, I mean, I've even read it in in some of these books about Liberia or maybe if you watch like a vice documentary, you're going to get a lot of this shit is that like the soldiers got drunk one night and they just were fed up with this corrupt asshole. And they, they impulsively stormed into the white, basically the white house and killed the president and said, well, we're in charge now. And I guess everybody just let them. That is, I hope, um, obvious to you, dear listener. Um, absolutely ridiculous. So we have pretty good evidence here. Uh, The other thing, uh, just to to rack one more piece of uh, anecdotal evidence that this is a US plot, there was another individual. Unfortunately, their names are not always identified in these video clips, but this guy, I'll play a little bit of it right now.
2: Well, what I know, there have been stories about white people killing Toba wearing marks. According to his wife, I have not talked to his wife. But I was working at Hotel Africa when the coup took place. I was going to L.U. And I know that those men that did the overthrow celebrated. The OPRC celebrated with the U.S. Army officers that were training them from the U.S. military mission at Disco, Hotel Africa. And I sat in their company. The conversations I listened to I concluded and deduced that they were part of it because Talbot was a progressive president, so to speak, within the international community. I said earlier that probably the US did not like Talbot because he was not the kind of leader that they could pull by their nose, by the nose. So probably, his brother was there buying up every company, insulting US ambassador, Steve. So what, what do you think? In fact, declassify information that we are able to put our hands on. Even the execution of the 13 men, okay, had to come from Washington, D.C. And the reason why they said the okay for the 13 men to die is because they wanted to put the fear of God in the progressive people in this country, the Amos Sawyer, the Tipotes, the Boyman so that when, when they when the, as he execute them, there will be a fresh French again in their shell. We were living in the era of the Cold War, and every progressive was seen as a socialist. So the U.S. was trying to fight, look for enemies where there were none, because I don't see any socialists in Liberia. How Matthew claim that he was a socialist? I don't think he was. He supported the free enterprise system. I'm not a socialist myself. I've never been. I'm a revolutionary democrat.
0: So this man was working at the Hotel Africa on the night after, you know, basically the end of the day when Tolbert was murdered. And he straight up says he was in the company of a bunch of like white military guys that were celebrating having pulled off killing William Tolbert and were drinking and talking relatively open. He said he was in their company and they were openly talking about it. And that is his clear impression that this was an operation So it's just, it's absolutely inescapable that they were behind it. And that also means that they were tacitly in support of everything that followed, namely executing 13 high government officials. You know, I think it was dressed up in a scary tribal mask to make it look like an indigenous rebellion. And of course those sentiments did exist. There was great inequality in Liberia, but behind that mask is... The U.S. Embassy and the military and the CIA who had a deep, almost like they're teaching the ruling class of Liberia a lesson that they strayed too far from the path of being, you know, a committed U.S. anti-communist ally. And I guess it seems in their opinion and in Charles Taylor's estimation, he said, you know, the idea of opening a Soviet embassy in Monrovia was almost like a sin because Liberia was supposed to be America's little child. And Tolbert, I think to his credit, I mean, I, I think one way to look at you know Tolbert ultimately is this is sort of a case of the national bourgeoisie having certain progressive, maybe anti-imperialist aspects to it, but it also shows the deep uh, contradictions. I mean, even I think the fact that his family was so heavily economically invested in all kinds of industries in Liberia, and that was something you could sort of accurately say that his family was benefiting a lot from his own development projects. But ultimately, his support for armed liberation struggles, his struggles against apartheid, even if they were maybe primarily rhetorical, he was charting a very different radical course, and it was definitely something... That was given the, as Charles Taylor noted, given the hypersensitive military and propaganda and CIA stations that were in Liberia and the fact that they wanted to use it as a springboard to feed mercenaries and covert support to various other conflicts going on at the time, like in Angola, for example. And I believe one of the things they had requested from Tolbert in the late 70s was... uh, the right to establish like a QRF, like a quick reaction force at one of the airfields in Liberia. And he denied that. So in their little game of risk, Tolbert was going in an unacceptable direction. And it's like, it's really kind of wild because, I mean, you see this a lot with us assassinations of foreign officials. And by the way, we're not just talking about the death of one pan Africanist leader uh, today in It might need to be split into two parts, but we're even going to venture outside of Liberia. But I think it's basically, I mean, you could watch all 20, 30, 40 videos of everybody saying it a hundred different ways, and it's just kind of staggering that if you read all kinds of, even very in-depth, like, academic or journalistic depictions of this conflict, the willingness of, like, American and British writers to poo-poo the idea that it actually was a sinister conspiracy is kind of staggering and i feel like if you swallow that falsehood it starts to pollute your perception of everything that happens next so what did happen next when samuel doe took over killed a bunch of people and placed uh, a lot of young activists into power well The United States aid to Liberia increased significantly from under $20 million in 1979 to over $120 million in 1982. And by the end of 1985, the PRC had received around $500 million in foreign aid. This far exceeded the aid given to any other sub-Saharan African country. So yeah, he just hit the jackpot, didn't he? America changed its tune. So uh, continuing from Hahn here, Herman Cohen, who served as U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs from 1989 to 1993 and became a key player in the Liberia conflict, noted that this aid was not aimed to benefit the general population in Liberia. Instead, it was meant to protect the interests of the United States because, quote, the Cold War tilted us in favor of supporting Doe because we got reciprocal treatment. We were supporting certain governments that were clearly not going to use their assistance for development, but use it for other reasons. And we supported people like Mobutu and Zaire and a few others. So, yeah, Herman Cohen's going to pop up a lot in this story. He is almost like he's like a. there's a couple people like him in this that are like refreshingly honest, like FOPO psychopaths a little bit. And yeah, I mean, he just says it pretty much right there. (laughs) Like, you know, we supported him because... Uh, he We got reciprocal treatment, and etc. So, the plan was that the PRC should rule the country until 1985, which would provide the time to restore law and order, shift many of the policies implemented by the Tolbert administration, prepare a new constitution for the Second Republic, and plan for elections in 1985. After the election, the military junta would then transfer power to a civilian government and, quote, return to their barracks. It's been a
3: pleasure to Welcome Liberian Head of State Samuel K. Doe on his first visit to the United States. It's especially fitting that we should be meeting this year as the United States and Liberia celebrate 120 years of diplomatic relations. Our discussions gave us an opportunity to reaffirm the special friendship and mutual respect between our two countries. Clearly a firm bond unites Liberians and Americans who have come together professionally and socially throughout the years. Our two governments have a long history of cooperation on bilateral and international issues. Chairman Doe told me of his government's ambitious goals, including the return to democratic institutions and economic stabilization. We welcome his emphasis on bringing the benefits of development to every corner of Liberia, Today, we discussed how the United States can assist Liberia in achieving these goals. As I stated clearly in our discussion, the United States stands by its commitments to Liberia and looks forward to continued mutual cooperation. My meeting with Chairman Doe marks the beginning of his two-week visit to the United States. And he made me a little envious when he told me that his next stop after. It is going to be, well, not near, not exactly the next stop, but the next one after is going to be Los Angeles, California. But in addition to meeting with a wide range of administration officials and members of the Congress, he will have an opportunity to meet many Americans outside the government and Liberians who live in the United States as well. The personal ties among our private citizens play an important role. In the special relationship between our two countries. I hope the long-standing ties between our two people and between our governments will be further strengthened in the years ahead. Mr. Chairman, you're most welcome. For access to the full-length episode, subscribe to the Hour of Frequency at patreon.com slash jihad.